Welcome to Stonebridge's Online Worship. I'm Pastor Jonathan. Christians around the world traditionally celebrate this Sunday as Trinity Sunday. So let us begin worship with these words. Let us praise God, the Creator, who's filled with glory and power, with holiness and splendor. Let us worship God, the Savior, who is filled with love and compassion, with justice and peace. And let us experience the Holy Spirit who fills us with faith and joy, with love and eternal life. Again, welcome to worship. As we record this service, in our nation, protests have calmed down. And for that, we are very grateful. But we also understand that a protest is scheduled for this weekend in Simi Valley. And we want to pray as a congregation. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to live in this nation. And we pray for the United States of America that your peace would be on it. Your word says, blessed are the peacemakers. We pray that our leaders would be peacemakers, that the officials over us would be peacemakers, that police and governors and mayors and the president and all others, civic authorities, civil authorities, Lord, we ask for peacemakers in our nation. Your word goes on to say that if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And so, Lord, for ourselves and for Stonebridge, we pray that we would live at peace with others. That as far as it is possible for us, we would bring peace. We pray also for justice and for safety and for healing and reconciliation and all the other hallmarks of our faith. We pray that we would be agents of all of them. And Lord, in our own lives and for one another, and for those we care about and love, who are so anxious, we pray that we would let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Lord, we have so many challenges. We still have COVID. We have the economy. We have our lives separated from one another. Lord, along with all of that, the protests, even riots, the potential violence, for all of it, Lord, we follow your word that says, casting all our anxieties on you because you care for us. Thank you for caring for us. And by an act of faith, Lord, we cast our anxieties on you as individuals and as a congregation, knowing that you care. Would you care for us? But you would you care for our city and our nation and the world as only you can. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. And before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. have been so, so good to me.
Stonebridge. Our scripture reading today comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Hello, Stonebridge. I am so excited to be beginning a series on the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be studying this for the next weeks. And I'm excited about it because in a very significant way, Mark is just like us. And he's written his gospel to people like us. And uh, I'm going to tell you about how we're like him in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk about gospels in general. Uh, people misunderstand what gospels are, and so I want to talk a little bit about that. People think that the gospels, the four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they're biographies of Jesus. They're not, though there is biographical information in them. They're written for specific reasons, and we will look at what those reasons are so as we get into this series, I want to build a description, kind of a definition of what a gospel is. So we'll get started this way. We begin with a gospel is an announcement. It's a headline telling good news. Something's changed. Something's different. In today's culture, we have gospel messages. Uh, they would be things like at a marquee at a theater where it says, Now playing, Gone with the Wind, or Star Wars. Something's changed. Whatever used to be on the uh, playing is no longer playing. And now, good news, there's this new movie out. Or something like uh, a, an advertisement that would say, Now available wherever good vitamins are sold. It's an announcement that... Something has changed. Even the signs, the yard signs that uh, have storks on them and say, it's a boy or it's a girl, and we plant them in the, in the lawn uh, when there's a new baby in the house, that's a gospel. It's a message of good news that something has changed. So gospels, um, it, it means in Greek, good news. The word gospel. It refers to a genre of writing, like we have writing that we call fiction, nonfiction, biographies, all kinds of genres. Gospel is a genre. And uh, they might have uh, nonfiction in them, uh, like eyewitness accounts. And they might have fiction in them, like um, parables 
and they might have biblio, uh, bibliographical information in them, like the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. A gospel can have all of that, but it isn't that genre. It's its own genre. Gospels um, can have many forms of communication, but they themselves are an announcement. So what is Mark announcing? He tells us in the very first sentence, the first words in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1, say this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. This book is going to be about an announcement about Jesus, the Son of God. The Gospel of Mark is not a biography. It's not nonfiction. It's not fiction, not poetry, not history, although all of those things might be in it, and we'll discover that along the way. So when we talk about the Gospel of Mark, we are saying the Gospel of Mark is an announcement. So who is Mark? We're going to get into that, but I think one of the most important things that we can know about this author who wrote the Gospel of Mark is this. Mark never met Jesus. Mark doesn't come into the story of the Bible, of the New Testament, until the book of Acts. He first appears in Acts chapter 12, and it's this interesting story about Peter, who is in jail, and uh, an angel uh, releases him and walks him out of the jail, and then Peter realizes, now that he's free, he heads to a house where there's a church, uh, a house church meeting, and they're praying for him. And it is the house of Mark's mother. And so uh, Mark certainly is aware of Peter, even if he wasn't at the meeting, but he probably was, and that's probably where he met Peter. We think um, Mark is Barnabas's cousin. Barnabas and Paul went on a missionary journey together, and they took Mark with them. Now, in the book of Acts, he's called John Mark, and you can read about that in Mark chapter 12 and 13. And in chapter 13, uh, along the way, Mark leaves the mission trip and goes back to Jerusalem, back home. So that's interesting. Uh, and then what happens is the next time Paul and Barnabas are ready to go on another mission journey, Barnabas wants to take Mark with him, and Paul refuses. He's upset. He says, uh, Mark left us back there in Pamphylia, back in Acts chapter 13, and he refuses to take him. So Paul and Barnabas split up. Barnabas does take Mark with him, and Paul takes Silas. And that might have been the end of the story. But scholars' best understanding is that sometime, many years later, Mark meets up again with Peter. And before we go there, let's go back to our description of a gospel. The gospel of Mark is an announcement made by someone who never met Jesus. Now, that's not the case for all gospels, but that's the case for Mark's. Mark never met Jesus. He followed followers. He followed Barnabas and Paul and eventually Peter. Years later, it appears that Mark ended up spending time with Peter 
uh, in probably in Rome. And Peter began to tell Mark his story of Jesus, everything he knew about Jesus. Uh, and Mark took that information and he wrote it down and he uh, gathered other information. He did other research and from all of that wrote the Gospel of Mark. And this connection with Peter is a defining moment in Mark's gospel. So remember, we said that Mark never met Jesus. Mark wasn't there when Jesus walked on water or when he fed the 5,000. Mark was not an eyewitness. Our best understanding is that he got his gospel material primarily from Peter. And he would have gotten those stories uh, from Peter 30 years after Peter had experienced them. Uh, Peter was in Rome at this point, and he was reflecting way back uh, on this experience with Jesus as he was telling it to, uh, to Mark. And as I say, Mark collected all of this and wrote his gospel. So in a very real way, many scholars believe that Mark's gospel could actually be called the Gospel of Peter. It's basically Peter's remembrances of Jesus. As I say, he, he got this information 30 years uh, after Jesus lived and after Peter spent his time with him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to tell the story of something that happened to you 30 years ago? Well, we don't have to go back that far. Just remember a time where you told the story of an event or of a vacation. Carolyn and I, for our 30th anniversary, went on an Alaskan cruise. And if I were to tell you the story of the Alaskan cruise, it would go something like this. Wow, I got to tell you, the most amazing part of that trip was uh, whale watching. We were out in a boat and literally these whales were diving right under our boat. We could reach out and touch them. Uh, that was a, around day six, and it was a beautiful day. But oh my gosh, I got to tell you, the day we got on the boat, day one, pouring rain in Alaska, just buckets and sheets of water. And we got in, and uh, if you've ever been on a cruise, you know they take your picture and that sort of thing. I hadn't even gotten my picture taken yet, and I hear, heard this a, a voice say, Pastor Neil, wow. Here I was in Alaska, and somebody on the boat has already recognized me. But I got to tell you, the most majestic thing about that uh, trip was one of the later days when we pulled into an area and the ship basically stopped and we just floated with a glacier in front of us whose sheets of ice, cliffs of ice, were taller than the ship. Oh, magnificent. Well, I could go on about our trip uh, to Alaska, but what did you notice about my description of that trip? Did you notice I skipped from highlight to highlight? And nothing in the story connects one story to the next. I just skip and jump from one to the other. And I didn't tell them in chronological order either. Uh, and there's no personal reflection about the meaning of some of the things that I experienced. There's almost no description of interactions with other people, no dialogue, no conversation. And that's what 
scholars suggest happened when Peter described his experiences of Jesus with Mark. So, go back to our description of the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is an announcement made by someone who never met Jesus, who recorded the stories of someone who did know Jesus. And this leads to the final uh, introductory information that I want to give us about Gospels and about the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is choppy and action-oriented. Mark is primarily just about the facts. He gives us more action, less dialogue. He jumps around without needing to say this is in chronological order. Because Peter probably didn't give him the stories in chronological order. And he didn't have connecting sentences that capture, you know, moving from uh, this story to this story. He just moves from one to the next, and we got to keep up. His narrative is designed to draw readers into the story of Jesus. The remarkable, life-changing story of Jesus that Mark experienced, uh, he wants us to experience that as well. Uh, And the text that we read just before the message is a great example of this choppy, action-oriented, jumping-around style that Mark's gospel has. Mark 1, 9-15. Now, I'm going to read just little portions of it, but it says this, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Uh, It's almost like whiplash. I mean, he just jumps from one to the next to the next. And how did we get from being tempted in the wilderness to John being uh, put in prison? It's choppy. It's fast-moving. It's action-oriented. Mark isn't writing a biography. He's writing a gospel, an announcement that things have changed. It's no less true, no less accurate, because it's choppy, and maybe it's not in chronological order. He didn't say it would be. My stories of Alaska are no less true uh, because I told them out of order. Uh, In fact, my story and Mark's may be more compelling because they are not bogged down by staying in chronological order. You know, today, books and TV shows and movies, they've all figured this out. They figured out what Mark learned and knew 2,000 years ago. Jump wherever you need to jump, just to tell the most compelling story that you possibly can. So now we can finish our description of the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is an announcement made by someone who never met Jesus, who recorded the stories of someone who did know Jesus in a compelling way so others would believe. That's what the Gospel of Mark is. And it brings us back to that initial thing I said, why I am so excited about this Gospel and studying it together. And it's just this one point that I want to give us today as we get started on this series. Mark is sharing with us his secondhand message, first-generation faith. Second-hand message, first-generation faith. Mark never met Jesus, but he heard compelling second-hand information and a message and stories about Jesus. 
His very first story in the Gospel of Mark is a secondhand message. Listen to Mark 1, 4 to 8. And again, I'm condensing it. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is telling people about Jesus. They haven't met Jesus yet. Some of them may never meet Jesus, but they are hearing about him through the secondhand message of John the Baptist. They got a secondhand story about Jesus from someone else who already believed. And whether he intended to or not, Mark begins his good news announcement with a story of the kind of life he had. Mark came to faith through secondhand messages about Jesus. He got the message of Jesus secondhand from Barnabas and Paul and Peter and his mother. That secondhand message led Mark to believe and have a first generation faith. People sometimes say, uh, my family uh, has been Christians uh, ever since my grandfather was a preacher. Uh, or um, we come uh, as a family uh, all the time uh, to church. Well, you know what? All of that's great. But we can't have our grandfather's faith. We can't have our other family members' faith just because we come with them at Christmas. We have to have our own faith. Every one of us has first-generation faith when we come to faith in Christ. Mark was a first-generation believer. And so this is what he has in common with us. We hear a second-hand message and find ourselves having first-generation faith. This is awesome. In the past 2,000 years, only about a couple hundred people ever met Jesus and then came to faith in him. Ever since, everyone else, millions of people, have come to faith in Christ, first-generation faith, through a second-hand message. And Mark is just like us. And we are just like him. And he's writing this gospel to people like us. People who are going to hear a second-hand message and have a first-generation faith. And we're going to come back to two questions over and over again as we look at this gospel of Mark. Because I think he's going to present these questions to us in various ways. The first question is this. Do we believe his compelling message? This isn't an academic exercise for Mark. Mark would be very disappointed if he read a a scholarly review of his book uh, that said something like this. It's a nice introduction to the life of an important historic figure. Oh, he would be so disappointed. Mark had worked with Peter and he had done his research and he had gotten this all written down to write an announcement of the life-changing difference Jesus Christ can make in our lives if we will come to faith in Him. The second question 
is the secondhand message we deliver. Is that message, through our words, our actions, our lives, powerful enough, compelling enough to lead others to first-generation faith? No one gets a chance to have a one-on-one with Jesus. Every single person comes to faith through the second-hand message of someone else. Who's coming to faith through our second-hand messages? I'll wrap up by asking just an application question for those two questions. Do you have a first-generation faith in Christ? Of course, you've heard the second-hand message, but your faith must be your own. When I ask someone to tell me their faith statement, I often get answers like, well, I've been going to this church for X number of years. Um, I made a commitment at camp. It's all good, but what about today? As you got ready to click onto this worship service and to listen to this message, did you do it so that you can connect again with the God who called you and gave you firsthand faith? That is the kind of relationship we're going to explore in this series. And secondly, do your actions, your words, your attitudes convey a compelling secondhand message about Jesus? If someone's only knowledge of Jesus is what they hear and see from you, is it compelling enough for them to come to faith? How likely are others going to be to want to have what you have, what I have? Mark will be our example as we read through and study this amazing gospel, this announcement of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm so excited to share this together. Amen. Hi, Pastor Jonathan here. I'd like to explain what Stonebridge is doing this weekend. Stonebridge is hosting drive-through communion, Sunday, June 7th, in our parking lot starting at 1030. We know it's not ideal, but so many of us miss our church family. And for weeks we've been worshiping online, and for weeks we've been together but apart. And so we thought this could be a strong statement of resilience in the midst of COVID-19. A strong statement that in the midst of this challenging pandemic, we are united. Additionally, we can celebrate the sacrament, celebrating the rich diversity of God's global church. That our unity in Christ includes women and men representing all races the world over. Jesus Christ, on the night of his arrest, was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And during that meal, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he told them, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood for your salvation. And so every time we eat this bread, every time we drink this cup together, we are celebrating 
the unity we have in Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ until he returns again. Today we're celebrating even more of our high school graduates, but we would be remiss if we didn't mention and recognize the people who have worked behind the scenes to help our seniors get to where they are. Graduation is a wonderful milestone to celebrate in the lives of our students, but it also brings mixed emotions for parents. Your role as a parent is changing. Over the years, you have put in countless hours of work. You spent time at the kitchen table helping with homework long into the night. You've driven to the store for supplies for last minute projects. You've driven your son or your daughter to sports games, practices, academic decathlons, marching band competitions, mock trial juries. You've spent so much time behind the scenes and whether they say it or not, your actions have not gone unnoticed. To our coaches, teachers, youth leaders, and mentors, we see you. Thank you for your effort and your work. Thank you for your extra practices, your time spent after school helping students understand material, the long conversations you have at winter camp and camps. Thank you for all of your work behind the scenes. We see each and every one of you, and we're so grateful that you've been a part of our lives and a part of the life of these seniors. And so to parents, grandparents, family members, teachers, coaches, and youth leaders, thank you. Let's celebrate even more of our seniors. Congratulations to the class of 2020. Know that you have brain and you are capable of, of being a great student. But we also want you to know that in life, we fail, we all fall, but just get right back up and know from your mistake or learn from your mistakes and move forward. When you feel like your future is flooded with uncertainty, rest secured in God's promise, knowing that He is directing every step you take to reaching your goal. Our God is real, He's there always for you, and know that we can walk confidently and joyfully through whatever comes our way. We do have a verse for you that we want you to always put that in your heart, memorize this, and you and it and that's in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 and 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. GP, even though you may have missed out on some on senior events, just know that there will be many more happy milestones ahead of you. Congratulations, Congratulations JP. JP. JP, you did it. Your effort shows that you're ready for your next phase of life. Um, you have a brain, putting hard work to it, together, will accomplish your goal. JP, never stop growing and challenge yourself to do your best. JP, we're so proud of you, and we know that you can accomplish more than this. Congratulations, JP, JP we're, we're so, so proud of you. Proud of you.
Desney Harding, today we celebrate your high school graduation, one of the many reasons we have to celebrate you. God has blessed you with unique talents and abilities. You have used his gifts extremely well. Your cheerful attitude, your willingness to go outside of your comfort zone and try new things, your hard work, and your caring ways all show what you have done with his gifts. We are so proud of you. As we celebrate you today, remember that you are a part of God's wonderful plan. Congratulations, Desney. We, we love, love you. you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow.
Well, now let us close with these words. May the blessings of the dynamic and unchanging Trinity be ours. May God's enduring love accompany us in our lives. May Jesus himself strengthen us to be co-builders of God's kingdom. And may God's Holy Spirit indwell and inspire us on our journey. Amen. Go in peace. And thank you for worshiping with Stonebridge Online.